All right, welcome back to the Haters Will Say podcast with your boy, Hella, Mark Harley. Thank you so much for all the support, first of all, for the first episode. We got to 1,500 followers already at the time of this filming of the second episode. I'm sure it'll be more by next week when this drops, but I just, I'm excited. I, I don't know what my specific expectations were for how many followers or views I'd get for the first episode, but the nightmare that nobody would pay attention whatsoever is now gone. Some of you are actually paying attention, and I couldn't be more grateful for that. So, sup, fool? That's our weekly segment. Sup, fool? What's up with me? What's up with you? I wanted to tell you guys some things that are going on with me this week, uh, some lessons that I learn. Whenever I'm training people, I learn as well. Uh, one of the reasons I was turned off to personal training when I first tried it many years ago was sort of like, Working at Bally's Fitness, I'm working in a corporate environment where the emphasis is on selling. I'm in my early 20s. I didn't quite have that mastery of how to work with many different kinds of people. I kind of knew what I knew. I had the certification to be a strength and conditioning coach, but ultimately I just, I felt like I didn't have as much to offer as I do today as a personal trainer. So now I do train some clients, but I always make sure that it's a really good fit that our objectives are in line, that we can work together, that you like me and I like you because I'm not going to work with somebody who I don't like or who is inconsistent in some way or who I don't, at the end of the day, care about their results enough to be consistent for them and really impart as much as I possibly can. And sometimes, again, somebody's looking for something that you don't have, so I always try to be upfront with people like, hey, I can do this, this, and this, and I can't do other things or our expectations in line. So as I go through my week and have various clients with various restrictions, it just made me realize that these might be some things that I can pass on to you guys that are common excuses people make uh, that prevent them from going to the gym or prevent, prevent them from making a routine that will lead to progress towards their goal. So these themes are going to be, I don't have enough time. I have a chronic injury. Uh, I have no equipment. So I'm going to go, three of my clients each have one of these issues and how I go about fixing or modifying what I'd normally do in an ideal setting to what I do for them and how it works and keeps them consistent and pushes them as far as they can so you're not just going, oh, well, I have this one excuse, I'm going to do nothing. So the first one is no time or not enough time. A lot of people come to me and say things like, I would work out, but uh, I don't have the hour to go to the CrossFit class, or I can't do the 90-minute P90X, or, well, I don't want to go run six miles or lift for two hours, or whatever like pedestal formation they have in their head about what it means to get a worthwhile workout. And often that involves an arbitrary amount of time, like an hour, and sometimes it legitimately does take this much to go to the gym and just the surrounding time of getting ready and finding the time. Sure, it can add up, but when it comes to actually being in the gym, you know, you leave me to my own devices, sure, I can do a three-hour bodybuilding workout and take five minutes between each set, or a power lifter might go in, or an Olympic lifter might go in and deliberately need that rest in order to do a number of all-out singles or low repetitions and with enough rest to make it near his max strength output. But for most people who are trying to like build a little muscle, lose a little body fat, the time, you know, of an hour or more simply just isn't needed. 
And if you want to hit a body part really hard or even your entire body, you can do it in 30 minutes. So if you have an hour session blocked out, as I sometimes do with uh, one of my clients who's a, he has a full-time tech job and he's a music producer. So I'm catching him in between he, when he stops doing his tech job and when he starts producing music for the night. Sometimes they'll go, oh, do you have a 30-minute chest workout we can do, you know, or 30-minute back circuit? You can condense an hour workout into 30 minutes by manipulating the, the exercises and the, the time you rest. So if you start supersetting things, for example, like if we're doing a chest day, everything's back and forth now. Instead of starting off with heavy presses and working your way to more isolation movements, do them both at the same time. Superset a heavy bench press and a dumbbell fly, superset a cable crossover and a dip, superset a deficit uh, push-up with a, a pec deck machine. Go back and forth between these two things and your pecs will be exhausted and fatigued at the end of 20 to 30 minutes and you can probably get into the same number of sets. Are they gonna be sets with as much weight and absolute intensity as if you did them all fresh and had three minutes in between? No, but you can still get a ton of progress. I've done a number of half hour workouts that are full body where I just combine like a, a pressing movement, a pulling movement, a squatting movement, a hinging movement, you know, with the same one dumbbell, um, just to take time so you're not like moving around the gym even, you know, because if you keep it all confined to one place with one barbell, you find something you can do. If a shoulder press works, then it might also be good at that weight for a Romanian deadlift or on one leg, you're modifying, you take the one weight that you have and say, how many things can I do with this? Rather than saying, I'm gonna travel over here and come back here and take water here. You can condense it all to 30 minutes or so. So time is never really an excuse. Even if you have 10 minutes, right? You can do something really hard and intense in 10 minutes. And I encourage you guys to never use time or lack of an hour or two hours as an excuse to not exercise because something's always better than nothing. And you can, in fact, get pretty intense exercise within a very short amount of time. I mean, do 50 burpees in a row, for example. That should take you less than 10 minutes, but will leave you exhausted and work most of the muscles in your body. Second example I'm going to talk about is a client with a chronic injury. I have many chronic injuries, torn labrum in my shoulder, knee reconstruction, all these things that... Um, can make you want to have an excuse for not training legs or, you know, I have a chronic lower back injury. Should I never do deadlifts again? I'm an advocate of doing what you actually can do and modifying the movements as needed to give you as much range of motion as you can without just saying, uh, I have a, for example, my client, Paul has a hip injury. He needs a hip replacement, but guess what? We squat every week, sometimes multiple times a week. He goes down as far as he can, which is different maybe on a barbell squat. It's different compared to a Smith machine squat. It's a little safer. You can go down deeper. But the point is he's pushing it as far as he can every time. And many people will use that as an excuse. I have this thing. It's, you know, it causes me discomfort or pain. And I'm not saying to work through extreme pain, but everybody has that line for themselves of, yeah, it's uncomfortable. I kind of don't want to do it. It would be nicer if I was in perfect health, right, into actual pain and, and worsening of that injury. So this guy's almost 60, needs a hip replacement, and is still doing squats as low as he can. If you're a young person with no chronic hip or leg injuries, you should be squatting too. 
So the third one I want to look at is somebody with no equipment or no gym. You don't have access to a gym. You can't get to the gym. You do, I would assume, live somewhere, right? If you have no equipment, that is not an excuse because so many simple movements you can do at home have not only benefit in and of themselves, like if you don't have any gym equipment, you know, you think push-ups won't get something. Well, how many can you do in a row, right? Unless you can just bang out like 300 push-ups in a row, which I'm assuming, you know, 99% of the population cannot do that. There's value in progressing through a push-up sequence. If you can do 10 right now, you're going to be stronger and in better shape. If you can do 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, when push-ups really get easy, you can Put your feet up on something to add resistance. You can work towards a handstand push-up with your feet against the wall, doing partial reps, doing progressively larger ranges of motion as you get stronger in your shoulders. So until the point where you can do a handstand push-up with a deficit for multiple reps, well, there's stuff you can do at home to work on these shoulders and, and pec movements uh, that will have a benefit to you, right? It's just, yeah, push-ups can get boring. They're not as exciting is going to the bench in a gym and doing a bench press. But there's so many things you can do. If you can't do, you know, 100 jump squats in a row, do you think you could benefit from maybe doing sets of 10 to 20? You think your legs won't be sore? You think you won't develop explosive uh, strength and conditioning in your quads and your glutes from, you know, just, just try 100 over the course of the day, right? It doesn't sound like that much. I mean, even 20 in a row. I think you'd be surprised. And especially when you start to combine those movements – in sequence, right, a super basic one, if you have just a pull-up bar, if you have the only equipment you have is a pull-up bar, think about this, a circuit with multiple rounds of push-ups to failure into pull-ups to failure into a hanging leg raise for your abs to failure to jump squats to failure, that's a full body workout that you can do multiple rounds of in less than 20 minutes at your home with just one piece of equipment. So if that is going on, I don't know if you're listening what your situation is, but apply that to anything. Look at your excuse and see if it's truly valid or just something that's convenient for you to justify not doing the kind of activity that you want. Okay? That's what I'll leave you with. All right, on this week's This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Gyms, we're going to be looking at a couple of videos where people use straps and fail hard. Uh, let's take a look at some of these videos. Okay, we see this guy deadlifting quite a lot. Oh, face plant. Why? Because he's using the, the figure eight straps. What happens is those lock you in in a way where you can't just release this strap and get your arm out of there like a conventional strap. It, it loops in and you put your, uh, like a figure eight, hence the name figure eight straps, you put your hand in and it locks you in there. So this guy, I don't know if he passed out at the end of the deadlift. Or what? But let's see. Okay, he's uh huh. His hand is locked in. I don't know if this if he didn't have the strength or the wherewithal, but it's pretty funny regardless because it makes you face play. All right, let's look at this guy deadlifting in his backyard. Terrible form. What? You see, what happens is now I'm not going to comment on his form right now, but obviously he's cat backing this deadlift and his back is bending at the thoracic spine, not looking good whatsoever. And, you know, a, a basic deadlift cue of keep your weight over the middle of your foot 
that's going to be much harder when your hips rise that fast. So, of course, his weight's going to be off balance and he will fall forward. But, again, another face plate. Now, I wanted to look at these not because, you know, I think they're the most ridiculous gym fails ever, although it does look funny, but just to set up the fact that this has happened to me. Okay. And I want to tell my own story. I don't have it on video, but, yes, I have fallen face first into a wooden platform using figure eight straps. And it was embarrassing and humiliating. And that's why I wanted to show these guys to show you how stupid it looks and then to also express empathy because I've been there before and I feel your pain, guys. So <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was at 24 in Burbank. I was doing some snatches. And this is why I'll never use straps of any kind on snatch. I think with Olympic lifting, unless you're doing like a high pull or something like that, where it's just this part, it's not a good idea because anything overhead with straps, it's like if it gets caught, it's going to pull you this way. If it comes forward, it's going to – there's just too much movement going on in full Olympic lifts to justify straps and especially figure eight. So I had figure eight straps locked in, doing a snatch, going for five on 185, more like a power scene. You know, it was at the upper limit. My form at the time was not very good at snatches. It still isn't, but it was worse then. So – the other part of the story is the platform across from me. So the way Burbank is set up, it has like, like a platform and then you're facing another platform across from you, right? There's like four and it's like, you know, mirrored across the central line with the, the pull-up bars and stuff like that. So you're like looking at the person across from you, right? And the mirrors behind them. And this trainer, she was hot, all right? Come up with a hot blonde trainer and this is who you draw. Um, it was just you know, you're going to notice her presence as a guy in a gym. And I think that's, you know, even though I go in a gym and I'm focused and I'm not there to meet girls or even look at girls per se, you know, except if they're passing by, whatever, that's not the intense. I'm not going, I'm showing off to her. It's just, this is the person who happened to be a personal doing a personal training session across from me at the time when I'm doing this lift. And part of your brain, of course, is like, yeah, you better look cool for her. You better hit these reps. You're maybe going to, you know, I think it's just, right? Subconscious. The guys do this like, I'm going to try to lift a little more. I'm going to really make sure I get that extra rep and not bitch out. Whatever it is, it's just, it's too much for most guys' brains to handle, like not having that sort of response. to Even, even if you're not a super hot girl, it's just like, hey, girl's there. Guys want to show off in some way. And of course, that often ends up backfiring, as in this case. So I hit four reps. Whoop, boom. Whoop, boom. Three is difficult. Regroup. Hit four, barely. Should have given up, right? Should have been like, all right, four is good enough, but you have it in your head that you're going to do that fifth rep. And I set myself. I throw it up. I catch it up here. Like, now that I'm thinking about this, you know, I think it was actually a decent power snatch, but I got excited at the end, you know? Like you do this and you're like, yeah. And I went to like, you know how you like throw something? Like if it's overhead, you like throw it. Like I remember like I kind of like forgot that I had the straps in and just threw it to the ground. And of course, that momentum of the bar coming down, my hands are attached to the fucking bar. So I'm like throwing it down and then immediately just like you're, you're getting pulled forward as if you have your arms tied behind your back, right? And you just don't even have time to think. So like all you can do is like move your 
head out of the way so you're like kind of catch a little bit of your neck too as you face plant into the fucking wood. You know, to say it was embarrassing is an understatement because it's also like embarrassment plus a concussion, you know? You're like, just like, uh, you don't even have the wherewithal to like try to make it smooth when you get up. Like, you know, people saw, but you can't like, you don't have the wherewithal to even like immediately take stock of like, how many people saw this? Did the hot blonde trainer see this? Am I going to get kicked out of the gym for this? You're just like thinking about that blunt force trauma to your head, you're dazed, your arm's still attached to the thing. I mean, that's the thing, it's like you, you land and it's like you just get up, it's like you have to first get your hand out of the figure eight strap and then get up and then walk it off and then immediately leave the gym, change your name, move out of town, <laughs> move back to your mom's apartment and uh, never do snatches again. So that's my story. A lot of these gym fails, they are funny, but almost everything that I show you, I've probably participated in to some degree. You know, and I think that's a that's a rite of passage as a lifter too. Is like you do the ego lifting and you see why it's stupid and maybe the weights fall off or crush you or make you face plant uh, at the Burbank 24 Hour Fitness. So what I'm trying to say is thank you, figure eight strap face planters. This is why we can't have nice gyms. All right, we get a new segment this week called Mark Harley's Bro Science Academy. This is where I'm going to be imparting some of the things that I learned as a bro scientist throughout the years to all you people out there who might be in need of some unconventional bro science wisdom. What does bro science even mean? It's a term that's thrown around to kind of refer to wisdom in the gym that maybe is not super scientific. It's like passed on from one person to the next and it's not like there's actual studies confirming this is the case, but it's like lore. It's like, well, I did it this way because somebody else did it this way because somebody else did it this way. And it's the wisdom that you accumulate without delving deeper into the actual science of it. But I say that also like it's a pejorative term. Oh, it's just bro science. Sometimes bro science is right, right? Sometimes your test subject uh, experiment group of one yourself can be all you need to determine that something works for you or doesn't. So I'm, I, you know, I'm trying to make this like, what I've learned throughout the years that some people haven't like experimented on themselves with, whether that's training uh, uh, protocols, substances, different approaches that, you know, had I not ever decided to try this, I wouldn't know anything about it. So today I wanted to look at an extension of a conversation that I had or started to have with Brian Callen when I went on the fighter and the kid the first time. Uh, he asked me a question that was something to the to the effect of, if you had six months to take me and put as much muscle as you could on me, like what would the general approach be? And this is something that I did get a lot of questions about because I, I said some broad statements like, do everything every day and eat a bunch of food, right? That's not a nuanced statement, but I can go into depth more. And what I mean is, you're doing your entire body if you're looking to gain muscle in the shortest amount of time to truly put on if you're an ectomorph if, or if you're just somebody who doesn't have a lot of muscle, you're skinny and you want to transform yourself, you're going to have to give yourself a reason to put on muscle that involves a lot of stress on your body via resistance training. I was using the do everything every day statement as a, a contrast to a typical bro science split, which is doing one body part at a time for one day. Now you can achieve some progress on that obviously, but 
the fact is the only way to really maximize the amount of muscle you gain on your whole body is to do as many cycles of stimulus, rest, recovery, and rebuilding within that period of time, which means that you want to do the least amount of work to stimulate a muscle gain or at least a lot, amount of volume or sets do just enough, right? Because if you do anything more, you're putting yourself into a recovery deficit. So if one set of bench press is going to make your pecs grow or one set of squats is going to make your quads grow, you have to stick to that minimum effective dose of exercise, which is typically less than people think it is. Like if you're doing a, a chest day once a week and you're doing 30 sets for chest, it might be too much and it might be approaching something you can't recover from. If you're doing uh, a few sets a day and repeating that several times a week, you can get more recovery cycles in. So it's an idea that is broadly referred to as high intensity, low volume. I was first introduced to this concept with something called DC training, which stands for dog crap training, innovated by Dante Trudell. I first read this letter that he was circulating on the internet. It's called Cycles for Pennies. And he would talk about basically like the most cost-effective approach to cycling anabolics and also the most effective way to put on muscle mass that counters the, the pervasive sort of high volume pump and fluff narratives of the bodybuilding industry that you'd see in all the magazines where, you know, you're hitting shoulders one day and you're doing all these different exercises in the sets. And he came in and was like, you're actually going to do one exercise per body part and do half your body, do an upper and lower split, do that alternate through that and you can do it as many times as you can handle the recovery from. DC training is doing half your body at a time with one set for a rest pause set, okay? Whoa, one set per body part, that's crazy. I was able to lose fat and put on muscle as a natural in my early 20s with this program working out only three times a week uh, and doing one set, a broken set, but one set per exercise per body part per workout, okay? So if you're coming in and doing an upper body day, for example, you'd start off on bench press and take enough sets to warm you up, let's say two sets to get to your top weight, a top weight where you'd fail at 10. Then you're doing a rest pause set where, you know, that, that set of 10 to failure, you rack it, you take 15 deep breaths or about 40 seconds, and then you try to do some more to failure. Again, so if you get 10 on the first one, maybe you get six reps after 15 breaths or 40 seconds. Then you rack it again, take 15 breaths or 40 seconds, and finish off with three reps to failure, whatever it is. So you're accumulating all those and then looking at it at the end and going, okay, I got 10 plus six plus three, that's 19 rest, pause, reps. The next week, you're just trying to beat that. So all you're trying to do is beat yourself by one rest, pause, rep, per exercise each time you go into the gym, which you can do and it's reasonable. And then you also rotate through these things. If you're doing incline bench, one time you'd hit upper body, the next time you actually do a different exercise like incline dumbbells or the Smith machine, uh, decline bench or something like that. You pick your three favorites, you work through them. So each time you get to that same exercise, again, you've had 10 days or two weeks to do other exercises that will theoretically strengthen the first one that you come back to. So it makes it super simple, super easy to track, really. Um, and then for lower body, there's certain variations on it, like you're gonna do two sets to failure for squats, but the first one is a set of 10 to failure, the second one is a set of 
20 with like 20% less weight than the first one, a set of 20 to failure, which is super intense. But do you need much more after that? Or if you do a, a set of, you know, a 50 rep leg press set to failure, do you need that much for quads afterwards? No. Maybe when you get more advanced, you can do an isolation movement like after the bench, you'll hit some flies to failure as well. And then there's a weighted stretching component. So each of these exercises all have something where you're putting your body under a weighted stretch to induce even more hypertrophy. It's unconventional, but you're, you're, the theory behind it is you're stretching the fascia and filling it with uh, the muscle with blood in order to make the connective tissue around that muscle stretch out when your uh, muscle is full of blood so that there's more room to grow because that can often be a, a limiting factor. So the idea here is you want maximum stimulus and minimal fatigue, okay? Once you hit a heavy set of inclines to failure in that rest pause set, if you've stimulated your muscles enough to grow, well, then everything after that is just going to be additional work that you have to recover from for the same result because you can only grow back this much each time, right? Doing more and more and more sets doesn't mean you're growing back two or three times or four times as big each cycle. You can only grow that much this cycle. So the idea is you create a deficit and you come back here with the recovery. And anything outside of that is more fatigue and it's just going to take you longer to recover and you get less recovering growth cycles per unit of time. So if you haven't ever heard of this, look it up, try it out, experiment on your body with it and see if doing a high intensity, low volume protocol might be something that you like better than doing a classic bro split because many people have converted. So if that sounds appealing to you, look up DC training and try it on yourself. And that's lesson one from Mark Harley's Bro Science Academy. All right, I got a new segment for us this week. It's actually pretty serious. I call it, hey, that hurts. I'm gonna take a look at things that people said to me on the internet that I thought were mean, hurtful, rude, just unnecessary, just to share with you the, the kind of comments that I get online that <laughs> I just, I wish people wouldn't say stuff like this. Okay, I'll just, I'll just read through them. You look like a male Gabby Garcia. If Rogue and Wolverine had a kid and the baby came out mildly handicapped. He looks like if Chewbacca manscaped his face with the lights off. Motherfucker looked like if Conan the Barbarian was bisexual. Conan the Bicurious Barbarian. And then somebody responded, no, Conan the Bicurious bitch-ass hoe. What? Like what? You know, it's, it's not even clever. It's just like, okay, you just wanted to call me a bitch-ass hoe. And then... <laughs> You took someone else's joke, so. This person says, Mark's an answer to the question, what if Jason Momoa was older but also uglier and less talented? Hey, that hurts. <laughs> he looks like Steven Tyler if he fell into a vat of HGH and then fell into another vat filled with a chemical that strips you completely of all your talent. Yeah, like where are these vats coming from? Like why is that vat next to this vat? I just, so it's like unrealistic is what you're saying. And I agree. Like, <laughs> this wouldn't happen in real life, so. His girlfriend is definitely in high school. No, she's not. Mufasa on the Sasa. Okay, yeah, not bad, not bad. He looks like Scar, but we all know he'll never land a role that big. You don't know that, you don't know that. 
I've never thought this about a human before, but you should seriously consider a lip reduction. Okay. Maybe just keep, you know, like your opinions about my physical appearance to yourself because what I do with my body is my choice. I can't believe it's not Fabio. His hair looks like he dyed it with seagull shit by L'Oreal. <laughs> he looks like he auditioned for Sons of Anarchy and they gave him a lukewarm response. Sons of eh-narchy. Okay, that's it for all the mean comments that people wrote about me this week on the internet. Keep them coming. I will read them on the podcast, but just remember, hey, that hurts. All right, for this week's Saucy or Not, we're going to be looking at an elderly gentleman who has been overwhelmingly requested since I post a video to my Instagram six weeks ago where you get to see a side-by-side -side comparison of me and this man's physique. It's none other than the man dragon himself, Brian Callen. Now, I was always under the impression that Brian was totally natty. I'd never even thought about it before, and in fact, he had brought up multiple times on The Fighter and the Kid, hey, what if I started doing TRT? What if I started doing steroids? What would happen? So in my mind, he was natty. He was looking into it. He wasn't ever going to do it. But then somebody DM'd me like, dude, take another look at that video. You sure this guy's as natty as he says he is? Because he initially did. He said, hey, you should do Brian Callen. I'm like, Brian's natty. What are you talking? He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. He, he he says he's, he talks about how he's going to do it and he's never done it. And it, he goes, dude, check out the video. Look at yourself. You're 6'3", 245 pounds. Look at Brian Callen next to you and think about the fact that Brian is 80 years old, okay? So it, it got me thinking, this whole, oh, I've never done steroids. I'm totally natty. I, I'm thinking about doing that. That was all a misdirect and good on you, Brian, because... I fell for it. And he, you know, if anybody was going to do something like that, it'd be Brian. He's such a jokester and he likes, I think, misdirecting people. Again, comedy, it's all about misdirection. So here he is going, oh, no, 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 I'm going to do steroids. Meanwhile, there's some pretty mounting evidence here that he might already be on steroids. Let's take a look at this video. So you see him next to me. Again, I'm 6'3, 245. What you're going to notice is Brian has more muscle mass than I do, okay? So if you're just looking at it, now luckily we're both wearing jeans and a, and a t-shirt here, you can see that a side-by-side -side comparison, there's no way uh, that you can say that his traps aren't bigger than mine. As he says, he starts and ends with his traps. They're bigger, they're rounder, they're fuller. Then we go down to the deltoid, we see just gigantic medial delts. He, his shirt's loose, but you can see that it's really pressing on each side. It's almost like, you know, whatever size shirt he's wearing, you need a bigger size just for the shoulder area. He needs to get custom shirts or something because those things are popping out of his shirt in a way that, you know, when you think about like, what does a steroid user look like? A lot of times it's in the delts and the traps. There are more androgen receptors in particular areas of a guy's body. So, you know, like what we think of a woman, like what is, when does a, a woman look manly when she has really big shoulders? Well, Brian looks extra, extra manly. I mean, he's next to a manly looking guy in myself, obviously, and he's making me look like I have a woman's physique. And that's just the fullness of the deltoids in, in, in the, the front deltoid and the rear deltoid as well, but specifically that medial deltoid popping out and giving him that big, broad, full look before you taper down into that tiny waist. I mean, you know, I have a 34-inch waist. 
Brian's waist looks like it's about half mine. So you could, it's one thing to say, this guy's got tremendously broad shoulders and, you know, he's a world's strongest man competitor and he's got this 50 inch gut. But the thing is, Brian's obviously approaching, now you can't quite see his abs because he's got a shirt on, but if you look closely, you can see ripple after ripple after ripple. His shirt's clinging to this washboard stomach and you can see one, two, three, four, five, six, and then probably two to four more abs underneath his hand, which he's blocking because he's humble. You know, I think Brian's a guy who he could put a lot of us to shame if he were to come in and take his shirt off, but he doesn't do that. So it's a little bit harder to gauge his physique sometimes because he's just a humble guy. He doesn't, he wants you to have a good time. He doesn't want to embarrass you by taking off his shirt and, and making you look like a fourth grader, right? So that's one of the limiting factors, I think, and how he deceives people into thinking he's not on steroids is he's, he's, he doesn't pop the top. He keeps it all covered up. I'm going to have to conclude looking at all that information and that visual stimuli that the kid is saucing. All right, that wraps it up for episode two. Thank you guys so much for checking out the first two episodes. Make sure to like and subscribe. Make sure to share with your friends. If you do, in fact, enjoy the content, make sure to DM me any suggestions for stuff that you want to hear more of. Or if you have any saucy or not candidates, you can send them to me too, and we can analyze their physiques. I'm also going to start doing a segment I call Teak the Zeke, where I'm going to critique people's physiques. I'm going to start off with my own and try to give an objective evaluation of my own physique. But if you have people that it's not about the saucy or not per se, but if you want your own physique rated, if you want me to look at you and sort of uh, analyze how you look through a bodybuilding competition lens, go ahead and send it in and I'll take your Zeke. Thanks again for listening. I'm going to see all you guys next week. Remember, new episodes drop every Tuesday. Make sure to like, subscribe, and click that notification bell, baby!